Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, July 26th. We begin with concern from area residents over the possible redevelopment of Richmond Green Park, site of the former city-run golf course. We get the latest on the project from global news reporter Jackie Wilson. Next is another hazy, smoky summer in the province. Beyond the gloomy sky and strong smell of smoke, what are the health implications we should know about? We discuss with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Do you watch videos on your phone at the same time you're watching TV? If so, you're not alone. We hear new research on how many of us spend a lot of time on our screens, and often two at a time. And finally, it's another installment of Motivational Monday. This time out, we meet Michael Kerr, author and motivational speaker. We hear Michael's unique approach to building a positive, productive workplace, a philosophy that's earned him the title of Workplace Energizer. There is concern. Ever since the city shut down the Richmond Green Golf Course last year, there's been debate among area residents about exactly what's going to happen on this site. Joining us with some clarification and where we're at with the process is Global News reporter Jackie Wilson. Good morning to you, Jackie. Good morning, Andy. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. We appreciate it. Now, the city, uh, you know, the, the uh, working on it, from what I understand, residents have ideas. Where are we at? And has the city come up with a plan for the area at this point? So, no plan right now. Essentially, what happened is back in February, the city launched a an assessment. Well, they wanted to hear from the public to see what they wanted to do with about six acres of Richmond Green Park. The entire thing is actually a city-owned park. It's 52 acres. So they wanted to get a public engagement going in February to hear from everyone. That is now closed. So what's going to happen today is the Planning Commission is going to make a recommendation on the land use application for the area of the park for council to consider. And then council might make a decision today after the public hearing. They're going to listen to a number of residents and then they might make a decision on what to do with that six acre portion. Okay, so have you heard from the residents and and what they're saying they want to see happen to the land? Do we have any idea of the direction that the residents are taking? So I have heard from lots of residents about wanting to keep this valuable green space. One lady even told me, you know, it's an urban oasis. And, And I'm here this morning and you see people walking their dogs, going for jogs. And so those, of course, are the people who do use the area, but they... There's lots of passionate residents right now. They Earlier this month, on July 10th, they hosted a rally on the corner of 33rd and Starcy. You might have seen them as you drove by, mm. trying to save the park. They've been having online social media campaigns for awareness um, to keep this valuable green space. So the residents who are passionate about it have been very vocal, and many will be speaking today at the public hearing. When it comes to the redevelopment itself, Jackie, I'm hearing, I understand there's a giant water storage tank underneath the old golf course that they're going to have to remove, dig it out and fill it in. Is that part of the redevelopment at this point or are we talking about a different section? So there's multiple parts of it. The golf course is part of this section and then it's also this these very popular baseball diamonds that you have in the, the northwest corner too. You probably, if your kids play baseball, you might have played there. So it's that kind of six-acre portion, those two things, in the 52 acres of land. 
Okay, so yeah, it's a, it's more than yeah, it's very intricate. It, outside looking in, you think oh, it's just the golf course. What's going to happen? But the intricacies uh, seem a little deeper than a lot of people might be thinking here. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering, you know, what are you hearing about the chances of of things really wrapping up today? I know you say that you know there is uh, that that outside chance, but realistically, could we see things wrapped up? It, it doesn't seem like it. We haven't heard from our city council reporters that this for sure decision will be made today. So we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's lots of people that are going to be talking on the issue today. And council is really going to have to consider their options because this is a very large park. It's a good chunk of the park that good decisions going to be made. So I think they they might wait but again that's just my opinion council has not said whether they will or not however the city's website does say that council is likely or will is scheduled to uh, make a decision and get the ball rolling today and you know whether they like it or not i mean this has been for years that the the city is in the golf course business there's a lot a handful of (laughs) city-run golf courses so to a certain extent, you maybe don't live uh, in the Richmond area or close enough to the Richmond Green Golf Course to take advantage of that area. Uh, but outside looking in, I mean, this could be something that comes up years down the line for other golf courses, Jackie. Well, absolutely. And one of the things that the people who are really trying to fight to save this green space have said that, you know, this is a city-owned park. Uh, The zoning of it is like other parks in this city. And so what they're scared of is, and why they say other Calgarians should care about this decision, is that, you know, if the city starts with developing this green space, you know, the golf course, what is next? Mm -hmm. Is this kind of a snowball effect? So that's their decision is, you know, if we start here, what's going to happen in the future. So if we all stand up, they say, against this now and keep this valuable green space, it's likely that decision might stand for other parks in the future. Very interesting. We'll see what comes out of this today. But in the meantime, thanks for your update, Jackie. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Global TV reporter Jackie Wilson. What are your thoughts? Uh, Do you live in the area? Does it affect you, the Richmond Green Park, the redevelopment, uh, the pace that it's moving at, some of the plans that we've heard And, uh, you know, just generally in your neighborhood, would you like to see the golf course staying put? Obviously, in this case, that ship has sailed. But uh, if if not the golf course, what would you like to see in your hood? And joining us now is Dr. Ted Jablonski. Yeah, um, and I'm not sure if you get sick of it, but we enjoy playing some of your music and your tracks. Uh, I, I would never get sick of that. Okay, Are you kidding me? It's, it's a one. We appreciate it. So, yes, each and every Monday we have the opportunity to speak with you. And uh, today the topic at hand, and it's interesting when we set these segments up, uh, you know, in the conversations between you and Sue and myself, we say, well, you know, I wonder if the smoke will still be a factor. And, and lo and behold, this morning we've got another special air quality statement yeah. uh, for the province, city of Calgary as well. So, you know, beyond the gloomy sky and the strong smell of the smoke, we wanted to dig a little bit more into the health implications that we should know about. And obviously, if you have respiratory issues, that's one thing. But what about for the rest of us? What should we be worried about, Dr. J? Yeah, we all have to be very careful here, so we can't be understated. I mean, part of this is that it's a nuisance, like you said. It's, you know, it's hazy out, uh, our eyes are stinging a little bit, but it's really a much bigger story than that. Uh, it really, this particulate matter we can breathe in and can have definite impact on our lungs. So we really have to watch our exposure if we can. Wow, yeah, watching your exposure. But, you know, we want to leave the house, Dr. J. So are there things yes, we can I do? Minimize? And it's interesting because I was saying to my kids, half tongue-in-cheek, my teens, I said, you know, we wore these masks for COVID-19 and we can keep them around because of the smoke. 
Does that yeah, help? Yeah, we can keep them around, although they, uh, they say that the, your typical, even a surgical mask is not good enough because the particulate matter is even smaller. So you need, truly need, this is a place for an N95 mask. So you know how with COVID we said yeah. uh, N95 masks are really overkill, not critical. It's because it was droplets and the droplets were bigger. The particulate matter here is fine enough that an N95 truly is the mask you need to wear if you're going to wear a mask. Wow. Uh, so yeah, go figure. So the exposure, and you're right, we, we, you know, it's summer. We want to get out. We've been cooped up. But now for people with chronic lung issues, uh, chronic uh, heart issues, the very young, the very old, and pregnant women have to probably stay indoors if the uh, index is very high. If it's very smoky, you should limit your outdoor exposure, limit your time outside. Otherwise, stay inside, windows closed with air on recirculation. Uh, yeah, we're taking it indoors. You, you know, this, the circulation indoors is one thing, but staring down the forecast close to 30, a lot of people yeah. were between a rock and a hard place. So what about one of those... You know, those air filters we can buy. Can we still keep the windows open and use an air filter? Is there anything well, we can do? The, the, keeping the air, uh, the windows open with air filters is probably not a good strategy because okay. that air filter cannot filter enough if you're still bringing it in. So you need to close your windows. Uh, you need to get, you know, the proper filters, new filters, good filters on whatever uh, HVAC system you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, keeping the windows open is a problem here because you might as well be outside. So, yeah, we're, we are between a rock and a hard place. This is difficult. So you do your best to limit exposure. Um, so if you need to be outdoors, just be a little bit quicker um, if you have these issues. Now, if you're somebody who's healthy, um, I mean, I don't think I would restrict completely unless the day is horrible. Uh, but just speak, you know, it's a day that perhaps you're indoors a little bit more, mm-hmm. outdoors a little bit less if it's really, really hazy, really, really smoky. I think that'll be the case. Uh, we got 20 seconds, but your thoughts when I see those uh, ladies and gentlemen out there who have to get their running, jogging in this weather? Well, you're talking to the wrong person, so because <laughs> I'll do it. For some reason, oh. it does not seem to bother me okay. um, in regards to like coughing or feeling short of breath. No, what do I do with a run? I, I don't, yeah, I dial back the intensity a bit, okay. so I'm not breathing quite as deeply if I go for a hard ride or a good run. Uh, so there's ways of getting around that too, but uh, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. You're that guy I see. Okay, well, I'll wave to you next time. Uh, but thank you so much because it's super timely. We appreciate it, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Most of us with kids like to limit the amount of screen time they get each day, but what about for us? Far too many of us are watching our phones while watching TV, among other things. Our video habits seem to be changing, and here to discuss his findings is the Chief Product Officer at ShareThrough, Kurt Larson. Good morning to you, Kurt. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, we all seem to be screen-locked these days, and uh, even when we're away from uh, uh, our TVs, we're watching our phones. Why is it, do you think, that we're so screen-crazy? Yeah, I mean, well, why is the big question? Uh, I can speculate. You know, we, we definitely have some numbers about about how much we're doing it and kind of what we're doing. You know, I mean, I think why it comes back to 
really the way that the mind processes all of this information, and it's sort of this dopamine hit of getting um, getting information from your phone. Um, but we're definitely doing it more. You know, there was a recent Ipsos poll in Canada that 60% of, of Canadians say their screen time has increased during the pandemic. Uh, 43% say they're spending less time outdoors. And so, you know, there's I think were some obvious changes during the pandemic that kept people closer to screens and maybe also more interested in the, in the latest news, uh, the pandemic and lots of other craziness in the, in the world over the last year. Um, but it's something we've been researching for a long time. And in particular, not only, you know, what are, what screen are people paying attention to, but what are they doing? Um, you know, the, another recent study we did was that 79% of people, um, are taking the phone out while watching TV. Uh, I can't, I, I feel like it's probably a hundred percent and maybe some people are lying. Um, but uh, and, and they're switching to social media. That's the top um, place that they're going, followed by messaging and browsing the web. So, um, you know, all, all of the usual suspects are, are drawing our attention away while we're watching TV uh, or why we're doing much of anything else, I think. Well, you got to wonder, like, you know, we could always, like, for example, have a magazine in front of us and watch a show at the same time. Like when I say we could, I'd, I'd never consider that. But it's something about the multi-screen information do you think that our attention spans are getting shorter kurt yeah i mean there's there's been research uh, research around attention spans you know there's there's an often cited study around our attention span is now shorter than a goldfish i'm not sure how uh relevant that comparison is but definitely the, the whole behavior especially on a mobile phone if you think about say scrolling through a social media feed um, or, you know, feed on Pinterest or something, how many items are, are you paying attention to per second? You know, you can scan uh, news articles, scan photos, and, and scan dozens and dozens of those um, in just a few seconds. So I think we're just getting used to quickly switching our attention span between different topics, um, which, you know, maybe in and of itself isn't bad, but then the question is, can you really pay attention to something when you want to, you know, when you mm. want to spend more time on something? And I know, I know personally, I feel like it, it gets harder to have that focused attention. I think we've gotten so used to the stimulation of, of multiple, uh, multiple pieces of information every, every few seconds, you know. Well, and, and even so, you know, you, you think it's just the domain of the youngsters who like to, to stream, but you have data that say a large portion of people, um, you know, of an older set even, when you look at the age range, have cut the cord and they're relying exclusively on streaming. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the cord cutting has has definitely increased uh, both in, in all age groups. You know, the latest research we had is that 65% of people um, under 44 and 44% of people um, over 44 have cut the cord. And of course, once you've cut the cord, it's it's even easier to sort of shift shift different channels and, and experiences very quickly um, rather than sort of relying on whatever's coming on to the, you know, the particular channels at a given time. So that's that's all figuring in there as well. And I think the other thing that happens when you've cut the cord is you actually end up using your phone to find programming. Mm. You know, you're either using your phone to remind you, wait, which streaming service is that show I want to yeah. watch on? Or you're potentially actually streaming it from your phone and then, you know, maybe airplane it or casting it to your TV. So it, it actually pulls the phone into the mix proactively when you've, when you've cut the cord. You almost have to have um, a phone with you, you know. Yeah, very interesting times, and they seem to be changing uh, week by week, month by month. Thanks for your update and uh, your information, Kurt. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's Kurt Larson, Chief Product Officer at ShareThrough, online at sharethrough.com. On this edition of Motivational Monday, we have the opportunity to speak with Michael Kerr, the workplace energizer. He's a certified speaking professional, trainer, and author, and he joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. 
Good morning. I am. I'm reeling from the Benefer news. I have to say, I, this, yeah, pins and needles. Well, you know, I know that we're we've got a few minutes uh, together here, but then you'll want to be listening just after six thirty for that because I, it's kind of groundbreaking. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we'll get into that and uh, the recycling of uh, relationships there. Uh, but let's uh, talk motivation and and. Off the hop here, you call yourself the workplace energizer. Tell us what you mean by that, Michael. Yeah, well, I in, well in normal pre-pandemic times, I travel all over the world, researching, writing, and speaking about inspiring workplace cultures and inspiring leaders and businesses, especially that have an emphasis on putting humor to work to drive outrageous results. Businesses that strategically laugh all the way to the bank. And so I speak and train and write about what you need to do to energize your workplace. So it's not so much of a soul-sucking fun-sucking workplace that a lot of people are experiencing, sadly. But it's more of a want-to kind of workplace, a more inspiring workplace that drives real results. That sounds fantastic. I think it's something we'd all love to achieve and and all be working in an environment like that. We can perhaps uh, dig a little bit more into that. But when we have a, a guest on for Motivational Monday, we say, okay, can you send us some points? And I know that you know, a handful of minutes isn't going to change somebody's life. But at the same time, if, you know, we can ignite that spark to a certain extent or, or give them a direction to, to start that path to achieving their goals. And, and you've given me some great points here. So uh, tell me about this. We can apply it to work or just life. You talk about how people need to be okay with not being okay sometimes. What do you mean by that? And, and why is it important? I think that's really important. You know, we're bombarded with messages of the perfect life on social media, movies, TV shows, through advertising. It seems like everybody but us is living this amazing life. They're living their dream, and they're always happy. And I think there's a lot of pressure out there to to always be on, to always be happy, to always be in a good mood, and, and to have the world just be full of rainbows and puppies. And of course, that's not realistic to attain that. And we need to be okay not being okay because we don't want to beat ourselves up for having bad hair days. You know, there's a, there's a couple of really important reasons to be okay with not being okay. Well, one is just if we get upset at not being okay with ourselves, what happens is you end up getting stressed out about being stressed out. You get anxious about being anxious, and then all of a sudden your bad hair day is piling up on top of each other, and it looks like you're from the 1980s all of a sudden, and nobody wants that look. And the other reason to be okay not being okay is you need to create psychological safety, I think, for the people around you, whether it's your family, your friends, or your co-workers at work to know that it's okay for them not to be okay so that they can speak up when they're having a bad day so that they can speak up in more serious situations and say you know what i need help i'm really struggling right now that's, that's uh, that is huge and i mean it can easily derail not just yourself but obviously could uh, be an influence on your team at the same time i want to go to point number two which it holds a lot of weight particularly when you talk about you know coming out of this pandemic something we all have in common if people want to snap out of a funk and shift their attitude, is it possible? And do you have any tips, uh, you know, to do such a thing? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, it, it's different for everybody, right? What works for me, what works for you may not work for, for other people. So I think it's important that, that people just try different things to pull themselves out of a funk and, and learn what learns from them. 
I'm a huge fan of the quote, action is the antidote to anxiety. Mm. Just doing something, taking some action, even if it's just small, taking action certainly towards an issue that might be funking you out, if we can use that expression, which <laughs> I think we can, uh, can help. So, so if, if you know, there's a concern weighing on your mind, if you can do something to move towards a resolution of that concern, then of course that's going to hopefully help. But even just small actions, we know from so much research that everything from listening to your favorite uh, inspiring music that gets you up and dancing. Going outside for a walk is absolutely critical. And if you have a chance to do that, even if you're, even if you're at work and you're just feeling overwhelmed, if you can take a 10-minute break, get outside of your office and get out into the sun, into some fresh air, that can, that can make a huge difference. Uh, phoning a friend, phoning a connection, social connections are so important when you're in a funk. So having a few key friends that you can rely on and, and using that lifeline to phone a friend can make a huge difference. You know, playing with your dog, just doing something. Even we know from research that just, now not, not in a forced, you know, Dr. Evil maniacal kind of way, but just smiling genuinely mm-hmm. for at least 30 seconds can help change your internal chemistry and relax your body. Sitting up straight shifts your mood. Even just doing something that simple or walking with big, exaggerated, goofy movements can even help. Wow, incredible. Yeah, it's powerful when you think about it in those terms. Um, I've, I've got one more for you, but I'm also I'm going to ask you this question. Um, and then, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you what. I'm not sure. Are we, are, can we get to traffic pretty soon? Okay. Can we hold you over for another minute after some commercials here, Michael? Of course you can. That'd be great. Uh, good stuff. We'll have more with Michael Kerr, our guest this morning on Motivational Monday. Yes, he calls himself the Workplace Energizer, certified speaking professional, trainer, and author. So uh, more with Michael Kerr coming up in a second. Motivational Monday with our guest, Michael Kerr, the Workplace Energizer, certified speaking professional, trainer, and author. And I, I want to underscore author this time out, Michael. Uh, because one of your books is called The Humor Advantage, and you write and speak a lot about the role that humor plays in our work life and driving business success. And you say people can actually feel happier using humor in the office. But here's the question, and we've all worked with people, uh, well, hopefully not, uh, we don't remember the robot, robots we work with, but the people, some of them don't really have a sense of humor. So can people actually grow their sense of humor? Yes, I've, I've worked with those people, too, I think, Andy. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think everybody has a sense of humor. Everybody has uh, a different type of sense of humor. Some people hide it really, really well. And I think when we remind ourselves that when we're talking about humor, especially at work, especially in business, it's not about being a comedian or telling jokes or even always about being funny. It's about doing things in a spirit of fun, laughing at the things we have no control over, and especially laughing at ourselves. That is so important. And I do think people can grow their sense of humor. Uh, In fact, I came across one study that suggested that people can grow their sense of humor by practicing looking for, and, and keeping a file of this, practicing looking for the accidentally, unintentionally funny stuff that they find. So those accidentally funny newspaper headlines or signs that you see everywhere, warning labels. I have, I have a list of hundreds of these. I, I remember years ago, my wife and I opening up a new set of Christmas lights, for example, and it had a huge warning label, warning for indoor or outdoor use only. 
<laughs> so that's the kind of stuff you collect, and you put it in your humor file, and it it helps you just I think find more humor, and and grow that sort of lateral connection that humor is all about. And we do know from studies that when people do take themselves lightly, when they do bring more humor into their lives, they do tend to be happier. It's interesting because I've seen a lot of these big corporations go on these company retreats to try to get people on the same page and. You know, maybe you have a common bond. But I find, and I have found in, in previous, you know, work environments, if you're sharing a laugh and, and, and finding something in common that's funny, that can be a real bonding, uh, you know, point, can't it? Oh, absolutely. Humor is, is social glue. It's a social adhesive. It breaks down barriers. We know from studies that actually builds trust, that we trust people more who share a healthy, positive humor. And you're absolutely right. When people laugh in a business setting, in a work setting, it breaks down the hierarchy. You're no longer the bosses and the employees or different teams. You're all just a bunch of humans, a bunch of kids at that moment, really having some fun and sharing a laugh. Let's talk about something that we've heard a lot about, and, uh, you know, it's a different dynamic for everybody, that that work-life balance. So uh, tell us about your thoughts on the relationship between a sense of purpose in our lives and a sense of purpose at work and happiness. Uh, do you think that it matters is, so much? Yeah. Oh, it, it, it is huge. It is one of the top motivational influences, according to surveys. We know there's a huge correlation between happiness and people just feeling like they have a sense of meaning or purpose in their lives. So that that, that could be through things you do personally. Uh, but at work, we know it's critically important. And simple things can make a shift there, too. Because let's face it, not everybody has a job. You know, I was here all, all the time. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not solving world hunger or curing cancer anytime soon. How can I find a sense of purpose in my job? And there's lots of simple ways. You know, some organizations remind their employees, for example, that your job isn't just to come in here and do your job technically well. Your job is also to contribute to a rocking, positive, inspiring workplace culture where other people want to work. Mm -hmm. And even just that little shift can be enough to give people an extra sense of purpose. And there's these real cool studies that, that showed you know, people in the same job doing the same work for the same pay. There's a whole spectrum of happiness within those employees based on how connected some of those people feel to a sense of purpose. And sometimes it's just how they've changed their job in just a small way to give themselves a greater sense of purpose. And can we, can, can one person, if you have an office of 60, 80, 100 people, can one person make that much of a difference? Well, they can, they can certainly start with their own life and I think make a difference in their own life for sure. But absolutely, I, I have all sorts of stories of, of workplaces where one per, you know, we, we all tend to focus on those, those fun suckers that <laughs> bring everybody down. But let's focus on the, the opposite people, the people who do contribute passionately to the energy in the workplace. And I've seen example after example where just one person can make a huge difference on a team just through their sense of humor, through their energy that they bring, through their, through their attitude and their commitment to making a change at work. And I've seen it time and time again mm -hmm. that you know, if you choose to be that positive, powerful influencer, you really can make a, a bigger difference than I think a lot of people realize. Interesting concept. I'm assuming we can find out a lot more at Mike Kerr, K-E-R-R dot com? That is correct. That are, uh, That is my home coordinates, Perfect. my virtual coordinates.
sure people will be checking it out. MikeKerr.com. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. Thank you. That is Michael Kerr, of course. He is uh, the Workplace Energizer, a certified speaking professional, trainer, and author. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.